0: So, Jesus said these words, he said, If you love me, you'll obey what I command. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, we read, The Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. There are times in this job, as a vicar, When I look at the things people do in their lives and I think to myself, what on earth did you do that for? What possessed you to do that? A man has an affair, betraying a lovely wife and beautiful children who adore him, hurting the wife who's been faithful to him. The wife who's stuck by him when early on in their marriage they struggled financially. The wife who supported him through stressful times in his career, who who put up with him when he consistently arrived home grumpy and short-tempered. The wife has loved him and raised his children. He betrays her for another woman and in the process loses the respect and unreserved love of his children and on top of all that he loses the home that he's worked for. I look at him and and I think, why on earth did you do that? What possessed you to give up so much, so much that was so good? When we step back and think clearly, all sin is always like that. It is a betrayal of the God who has loved us unreservedly. It is the giving up of the most wonderful relationship that we will ever know for some sordid, grubby, second-rate alternative. And on top of all that, it is to lose the place that we call home, that we should call home. As we return to Genesis chapter 2 this week we are given a picture of of such a perfect life a a perfect relationship with God a perfect environment in which to live. When we look at Adam's sin in that context we we, we have to ask ourselves why Adam would you want to give it all up? What on earth possessed you to turn your back on God as you did? But I am way ahead of myself here that is where we are going to end. Over these last weeks, as we've looked at the first two chapters of Genesis, uh, we've seen that God created a world and created us in the world to be in relationship with him. See, at the heart of creation is relationship because at the heart of God is relationship. God, the Holy Trinity, is in perfect relationship with himself. Father, Son and Holy Spirit are in perfect unity and love each other in a perfect relationship and they have done for all eternity and they will do for all eternity. And so God creates the world as he creates the world because God's creation reflects the God who made it. Relationship is front and centre in the world. That's what we've seen in these last weeks in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And we know it from our own experience. We know how devastatingly lonely we can feel when we are on our own. We know that you can have everything, but if you don't have anyone, life is a dreadful, isolating experience of feeling abandoned, deserted, and alone. The goal of creation is relationship with God. Now we've seen that over these last weeks, I'm not going to rehearse it all again, but we saw it supremely in Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 to 3 as it is interpreted for us by Hebrews chapter 4, where we learned that rest in the Bible, this rest that is in Genesis chapter 2 verse 2, rest in the Bible is the eternal rest of being with the Lord for all eternity. That's what we were made for and that is the backdrop to Genesis chapter 2. This chapter shows us the good relationship that Adam and Eve enjoyed with God in the garden. We saw last week how good the Garden of Eden was. And just to recap, I put three little subheadings under the introduction that show us how good God is. The first uh, subpoint on the outline is this The Lord God created a wonderful place for us to live in. Last week we looked at verse 9 and and saw the variety of trees that God made. It points to the the beauty and sheer wonder of the creation all around us. In verse 10 we saw the river, a, a source of life and blessing as it spread out over the whole world. And in verse 12 we saw the richness and beauty of God's good creation, the gold, the pearls, the onyx. God created a beautiful environment for mankind to live in. And even we, living in in this fallen world, living now in Genesis 3 land, even we know what a great world God made for us to live in. I will never forget the sunset over the distinctively square mountain range of the Canadian Rockies, or the fjordland of Norway, huge mountains towering over the deep, dark blue lakes. The sheer beauty of Hawaii is indelibly stamped on my mind. And every time we go skiing in the Alps, I marvel at the size and majesty of the mountains. These experiences are breathtaking. God is good. He is good to have given us such a magnificent environment to live in, an environment full of energy and variety, vibrant and pulsing with life. Now second in this chapter and the second subpoint here, we see the Lord's great concern and care for mankind. Look at verse 18, the Lord God said it's not good for man to be alone, I'll make a helper suitable for him. You see how the Lord God is concerned for Adam, he wants the best for Adam. And so in verses 19 and 20 all the animals and birds passed before Adam but verse 20 no suitable helper was found for him and so we read in verse 21 The Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and while he was sleeping he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh and then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. You see how God cares for the man, how he creates Eve. And Adam was ecstatic. The moment he claps his eyes on Eve he bursts into song. Verse 23, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. And once again, even though we live in a fallen world, even though we live in Genesis 3 land, still many of us know the great joy of loving another human being in marriage. Many of us know that the overwhelming delight and passion of meeting and falling in love with and then being joined together in marriage with a life partner, it's a glorious gift of God. As you see in this chapter, how the Lord God is so good and generous and gracious, how he created such a wonderful environment for, for us to live in, how he took care of all our needs, and third, and most importantly, throughout this chapter, we see, and over the, over the page on the handout, the Lord God is in relationship with mankind. You see, in chapter 1, God is referred simply as God. Now, just flip back to chapter 1, and you'll see that. It's, it's very obvious, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Verse 3, and God said. Verse 4, God saw that the light was good. It goes right through almost every verse in chapter 1. God is mentioned and he's always mentioned as God. God created, God said. But in the second creation narrative, in chapter 2, it's quite different. All the way through in, from chapter 2, verse 4, it's the Lord God. Again, I put the references on the handout, but it's worth looking at. Verse 4 this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Verse 5, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth. Verse 7, the Lord God formed the man. And again, you'll see all the references there. Every time God is mentioned, it is the Lord God, the covenant-making, covenant-keeping, relational God. Relationship is, with God is front and centre in the Garden of Eden. It's what makes Eden so special. It's it's what makes heaven heaven. Being with God for I was created to be in relationship with him. And we see the intimacy of that relationship right here in chapter 2. See, Adam and Eve would have walked with God every day in the garden. We see that in chapter 3 once it's all gone horribly wrong. Look at chapter 3 verse 8. See, by now Adam and Eve have eaten of the forbidden fruit and we read, verse 8, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? See, this day in chapter 3 is different. Now they're hiding from God. We'll look at this more closely in a few weeks' time, but for now, do you see, it's quite reasonable to assume that Adam's sin has changed what had been a daily occurrence. In Eden, in Genesis chapter 2 land, Adam and Eve took a daily stroll through the garden with the Lord God. Now just hold on to that for a moment. The almighty creator of the universe, the mighty God of chapter 1, the God who just by saying the word created the world, that God went for a daily walk with Adam and Eve. They went wandering through the garden together. That's how close their relationship was. In chapter 2 then we see that the Lord God made a beautiful world for Adam and Eve. That the Lord God met their every need and most importantly, how the Lord God was in deep and personal fellowship with them. They knew God personally. Life in in Eden, life in Genesis chapter 2 could not have been any better. They were in a place of life and blessing, not just living, not just existing. They were alive, as alive as anyone can ever be. And in the middle of the garden were two trees, We're first made aware of the trees in chapter 2, verse 9. In the middle of the garden, it says, stood the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the middle of the garden, it's obviously important to note these trees. And it's the second tree that is not only in the middle of the garden, but right at the heart of this chapter as we come to verse 16 and 17, which are going to be the verses we'll really concentrate on this morning. Verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it you'll surely die. Yes, this is the tree from which Adam and Eve did eat in chapter 3. And through eating of that tree, the world spiralled downward into a calamity of, of broken relationships, of despair, destruction and death. And so inevitably the big question comes, Why did God place the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden in the first place? And what is this knowledge of good and evil anyway? And for the rest of our time, those are the two questions we'll try to answer. But as we look at this tree and this command, remember this is a chapter expressing expressing the life and blessing of being in relationship with God. Look, even the first words of these two verses express that. Again, verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden except this one tree. You are free. Adam, you're free to eat. As we read these words, it seems to me that um, we inevitably focus on the, the one tree that Adam should not eat of. But I'm told that in the Hebrew, the emphasis is on the word any. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden except this one. And this is not a verse from which we should be thinking God is hard and vindictive and, and a restrictive God. Quite the opposite. We should see here that the Lord God is good and generous and gracious. Listen to the freedom of this statement. Adam, you are free to eat from any tree except this one. Adam, you have the run of the garden. Everything in the world is for you to enjoy. Go and have a blast. Nothing's off limits except this one thing. Go and play. Go and enjoy yourself. Have a blast in the garden. It's all yours and all of this. All of this spectacular and glorious world is for you to enjoy. What a kind God. That's the emphasis of verse 16. So different from the way people portray God. And as we'll see when we come to the beginning of chapter 3, it's so different from the way Satan portrays God. At the beginning of chapter 3, the devil suggests to Eve that God gave this command to, to ruin their fun, to restrict them, to take away all the enjoyment out of life. And he continues to tell that lie today. So as I speak to people about Jesus and they tell me why they're not interested in following him, as I probe and push a little bit and ask questions, it turns out they think being a Christian is all about the things that you cannot do. Thou shalt not do this, that and the other. One guy in his mid-twenties put it to me like this. I like the idea of being a Christian, he said. I see a lot of good things in Christianity. I can see how it works, I can see how it could help me, but I think I'll wait till I'm older. I want to enjoy life first. See the implication? Following Jesus will take all the fun out of life. Following Jesus will cramp my style. That's the lie that Satan has been peddling from the very beginning. But chapter 2 and verse 16 tells us it couldn't be further from the truth. Adam was given huge freedom, free to eat from any tree except this one, free to enjoy this glorious world that God has made, free to be fully human and fully alive by being in relationship with God. But still, there was one tree he was not to eat from. So our first big question, why did God put the tree there in the first place? Wouldn't it have been better for God to have made Eden without this tree? Well, in this chapter where relationship with God is front and centre, this tree provides an opportunity for Adam to demonstrate that he wants to be in relationship with God listen again to the words of jesus that we started with john chapter 14 verse 15 jesus said if you love me if you love me you'll obey what i command Uh, love is more than an emotion today uh, in this world it seems that that is all it ever is represented as now let do hear me it's not less than an emotion and not least of all, when we're talking about love for God, we should feel love for God. Love for God should be expressed through our emotions. We're to love the Lord our God, remember what Jesus said, with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. We should love God with every fibre of our being. But, so we are to love God with, with emotions, but love is more than just emotions. It is seen in action. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. It's seen in action and we kind of know that instinctively. If I repeatedly say to Caroline, I love you, but then I don't show that in the way that I live, if I don't do my fair share around the house or if I treat her badly or, or always put others before her and never give her any time, well then at some point, and the next time I say to Caroline, I love you, she will quite rightly reply, well, you, you have a very funny way of showing it. Or she'll say, if you love me, why don't you show me that you love me by instinctively we know that love is demonstrated by our actions that's what jesus said if you love me you'll obey what i command and so the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was put in the garden for our sake as an opportunity for us to demonstrate our love for god look again closely at verse 16 you are free to eat from any tree in the garden but you must not eat of this one tree We've considered the huge freedom Adam enjoyed. We, we've seen how this verse reflects his, God's kindness. Adam, you've the, the run of the garden, there's just one thing, only one thing that's off limits, one tree that you must not eat from, but you can do anything else. But now note that God gave only one command. One command to enable Adam to demonstrate that he loves God. Show your love for me, Adam, by not eating of that one tree. Again, we see how spectacularly good and gracious and generous our God is. He doesn't set mission impossible for Adam to try to achieve. He doesn't say, I want you to swim the Atlantic and cross the Gobi Desert and climb Everest. God doesn't set impossible targets for Adam to show his love for him. He doesn't set him targets at all. He just gives him one thing not to do. So that every day Adam can say, God says I shouldn't eat of that and because I love God I won't. Now again, please see this and this is really important. If you've just drifted off for a moment, can I encourage you just to come back? This is really important because it's so often misunderstood. This is not some good work that Adam had to do to get into a relationship with God. No, we've seen in this chapter that Adam was already in relationship with God. God made him in relationship with him. The gospel is never, do something to get yourself right with God. The good news is never God saying, keep rules in order to become my people. No, no, this was just one thing for Adam to show his love for God. That's the gospel, isn't it? God does everything for us to be in relationship with him. He makes us to be in relationship with him. And then when we go and break that relationship, God sent his one and only beloved son to die for us, to repair that relationship. Our being in relationship with God is not down to us, it's all done by God. But in relationship with him, we're to demonstrate our love by living according to his commands, or in Adam's case, this one command. And how Adam should have loved God. For God had given him everything. A beautiful world to living. He cared for him and he'd given him Eve. And Adam enjoyed the sweet and tender fellowship of walking with the God of all creation. Why on earth would Adam not want to stay in relationship with God? For even this command was for Adam's benefit. You see at the end of verse 17 it says, for when you eat of it you will surely die. Now please don't think that this is a great threat that God is holding a stick over it saying, don't do this or you'll die. That's not it at all. This is a lovely warning. Because you see, to eat from this tree is to declare myself independent of God and therefore to step out of relationship with God. And because God is the source of life and blessing, to be away from him is to cut myself off from life and blessing. To separate myself from God will always result in death because I'm walking away from the very source of life. Don't you ask the question, why on earth would Adam not want to remain in fellowship with the Lord God? What possessed him to do such a thing? God's command is good and for our good. All God's commands are good and for our good. Question one, why did God put the tree in the garden? For Adam to demonstrate his love for God. Question two, what was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil anyway? Well it was not about having knowledge per se it's not the knowledge of chemistry or calculus or anything like that it's it's the knowledge of good and evil and then you ask but why would god want to deny them the knowledge of good and evil of all things you'd have thought ethics was right up god's alley well that's not it knowing good and evil doesn't mean knowing it exists or knowing what it was adam already knew what was good and what was evil he knew it was evil to eat of the fruit. And, and this can't be, this, can't, this knowing good and evil can't be knowing good and evil existentially because later on, we'll look at a verse in just a moment, which says they are now like us. God says uh, Adam and Eve are now like us, knowing good and evil. Well, it can't mean existentially knowing good and evil, experience it, because God does not know evil in that way. Well, to understand the knowledge of good and evil, let's turn to that verse, chapter 3, verse 20, 22, and see what God says after Adam and Eve has eaten of the tree. Chapter 3, verse 22. The Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, we saw in chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, um, a few weeks back, that mankind was like God. We were created in the image and likeness of God. And we saw that right at the heart of of what it meant to be made in God's image was the responsibility to rule. God is a ruler. He is the ruler of everything. And so being made in his image, God gave us authority to rule the world, but under his authority. We are made to be rulers, ruling the world, because we're made in the image of God. But now Adam and Eve were being tempted to be like God in a new way. Like God, ruling the world, but not under God's authority. Knowing good and evil, independent of God. See, knowing good and evil is is being the determiner of good and evil. It's the one who makes up the rules to be the law maker, to be the moral arbiter of the universe. In that sense, I want to be like God. I want to rule, I'll make up the rules. And taking the fruit, Adam was saying, I know what's best. Don't think that the fruit itself was kind of magical. It wasn't a magical tree, sort of bit into it and then something happened. No, it was in the taking and eating. It was in the eating that he was breaking the rules or, if I can put it this way, making the rules. I'll decide what's right and wrong, says Adam as he takes the fruit, as he eats the fruit. I'll decide what is good and what is evil. Adam's sin, you see, and indeed all sin, is not so much rule-breaking but rule-making. Oh, it is rule-breaking, but do you see how it's rule-making? And in deciding to make up the rules, to ignore God's rule over us, we rebel against God and break relationship with him. Sin is about becoming an outlaw, putting ourselves outside of God's law, being the law makers. Now, when we, when we get this clear, we begin to understand why sin is so bad and why sins like lying are so bad. I grab hold of lying because we all do it one way or another, and then we excuse ourselves for it by saying it doesn't hurt anyone, it's only a little white lie, it won't do anybody any harm. But regardless of whether it did or didn't affect anyone else the point, at the point that I lie I am saying to the God who said you shall not lie I am saying I don't care what you say God I'll make up the rules I will decide at this point that it's okay for me to lie so whenever I lie or break any of God's commands I am shaking my fist in the face of God and I'm saying I don't care what you say God I'll live my life my way that's the essence of sin it's singing along with Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. That really is a wicked song. Please, um, if you ask me to take your funeral, don't ask for that song, as people tend to do. Let me tell you why it's such a wicked song. Listen to the first, the first verse. I looked it up again this, this, this week. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friends, I'll stay, say it's clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've travelled each and every highway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. That's the big deal, I did it my way. Not anyone else's way. It's a song that is in blatant rebellion against God. And at this moment you're saying, you're slightly overstating the case, Paul. Listen to the last verse. For what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has naught. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels, not somebody who bends the knee to Jesus. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is about. It's about wanting to do things my way, wanting to make up the rules, wanting to be God. And as I do that, I break relationship with God. And when we understand sin like that, all sin, and when we're thinking clearly as the word of God helps us to do, it makes you ask the question, Adam, why on earth would you do such a thing? What possessed you to do that, to give up so much, so much that was so good? Why would you want to turn your back on the Lord God who is so good and gracious and generous? Why? That is the heart of all sin. It's the betrayal of the God who's loved us unreservedly. It is the giving up of the most wonderful relationship that we will ever know, the relationship we were made for the relationship where we know life and blessing and we decide to give it all up for some sordid, grubby, second-rate alternative. And on top of all that, it is to lose the place that we should call home. And so as we come to a close, let me ask you to think about your besetting sins this morning. I want you to recall right now the sin that you never shake off I've been praying this week that the Holy Spirit will bring that sin to mind right now as I speak. Think of that sin. And now see it as it really is. It is you shaking your fist in the face of God. And as you think of that sin, let me ask you, why on earth would you want to continue to live that way? To hurt the God who loves you, the God who gave you life. The God has created such a wonderful environment in which to live and who's met your needs, the God who has always stood by you and who wants to walk with you in sweet fellowship. Why would you want to turn away from Him? And then as we close and we begin to look towards communion, let me ask you to see yourself in contrast to your God. You are a creature. You were made by God and yet you want to exalt yourself and become God. You want to make up the rules. And so in disobedience you reject God's law and you cut yourself off from God, the one who gives life. And because God is the source of all life and blessing, deca- declaring yourself independent of him will result in death, spiritual death as well as physical death. By contrast now, look at Jesus. In the words of Philippians 2, that we read as our creed together, Jesus, the one who is in very nature God, and yet does not try to exalt himself. Quite the opposite. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Took the very nature of a servant, was made in human likeness, and he humbled himself and became obedient. Obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so as we come afresh to the cross of Christ this morning, as we take communion, it should leave us full of thanks, praising God for who he is, praising him for his goodness, his generosity and his amazing grace toward us. And as we come afresh to to the cross this morning, it should leave us hating our sin, determined to repent and wondering what on earth would possess me to turn away from this God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray together.